Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. This is an emergency version of the Peristyle Podcast. It's a holiday weekend. Just a little easier to do this one on a Sunday. We're going to talk with the coach, Harvey Hyde, about USC's opening victory against the Fresno State Bulldogs, 31-23, in the newly renovated Coliseum. We're talking about that. We'll answer your questions. We got voicemails. We got text. We got emails. Lots of questions. Lots of concerns from USC fans out there. It was a long off season though, so it was good to get one game under your belt and then move forward. Eleven more in the regular season. We got to take some questions from all you guys. Keep sending them in. Pre-game, post-game, whatever you want. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that as well. 424-254-9141 is the number. We love to hear from you. It's a question-driven show from all of you out there. So that's what makes the show all the questions that you guys ask us. And we really appreciate you doing that, taking some time and uh, sharing your thoughts of what's going on. And remember, if it's a voicemail, try not to go over a minute. We had one today that went over like two and a half minutes. We, we're not going to be able to play it. But keep them kind of brief so people can hear what's going on and get on with the show. And that's what we're going to do right now with the Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. What is up, Coach? How are you? Well, Ryan, uh, I want to wish everybody a great Labor Day weekend. And uh, buckle up out there and ride along with us here for what we call our podcast, weekly podcast. I look forward to doing it with you and also giving people our views and your views, Ryan. And also, uh, uh, we like to hear what their questions are, as you just mentioned. And again, remember, this is just our uh, opinion of what we saw. It is our opinion. Uh, we've uh, you know we've done some tweeting, uh, lots of uh, talk on the uscfootball.com message boards. Make sure you go check that out. We put up a lot of stories, uh, interviews with players and coaches from uh, the win over Fresno State. But the, it's funny, Coach. The way the fans are talking, it doesn't really feel like a win. And I, you know, I'm not you know I, I get what they're saying. Uh, but when when we talk to the players. And some of the players were asked things like, hey, is this a satisfying win? Uh, do you feel you should have won by more and all that kind of stuff? And to, to be fair, all the players were like, they're happy to get the victory. Um, I'm not sure where you fall on that one, Coach, but the, the fan base for sure is not all that satisfied coming away with an eight-point win over Fresno State. Well, Ryan, first of all, as a coach and a team, uh, you always have to get a W. Sometimes I used to say it's fun to win ugly, but just make sure you win. It's worse to lose ugly. Uh, but you got the W, and that's what it's all about. You got a 31-23 victory. You want to know against a team that went 12-2 and last year, and then you start to look at the whole picture, and you say, now what did we accomplish? What did they accomplish? What did we look good at? What didn't we look very good at? What do we need to clean up? Can we get better? And when you look at some of the things, you say, first of all, we lost our starting quarterback, J.T. Daniels, and that's what we had. Uh, well, you went to the spring practice of fall camp with deciding who the number one was. You decided it was J.T. Daniels. He goes down in the first half, or and then all of a sudden you say, well, who's next? And uh, we are, you know, and Coach always said it would be Kenan Solis, and it was. But then all of a sudden, uh, you start to think, well, what about Jack Sears? Well, should we have Jack Sears around? And so you start second-guessing yourself, and you watch to see how you play and so on, and then you start to evaluate your style of play. Did you play with style, and were they that good? And you, you start to watch the tape, and you go home. I would have told my staff, no one sleeps in the office. Everyone goes home, and we'll come back with our minds. Everyone will think about exactly what they thought was good or bad, not sit in a room and have everybody agree with each other and say, what do we need to improve on? But there's a lot that we all saw, if you went to the same game that we did, that needs to be improved on. But there was some positive things that happened, uh, uh, especially the, the, the kickoff return team. Thank God for Jones 
that he didn't leave because that big touchdown run of 101 yards is what I think uh, won the football game. He was my most valuable player of the game as far as if you want to pick one because it was 17-13. They had just scored. He came back and it made it 24-13. Then, of course, the last part of the game, uh, I think the momentum changed completely. Uh, USC got away from what they do because they didn't make the necessary adjustments. Penalties were at the wrong time. Not a lot of penalties, Ryan, but the few they did was on big plays that really did hurt them. Adjustments, uh, I don't uh, run the uh, air raid attack, but I know enough about football that they didn't think the necessary adjustments were made. Uh, the uh, uh, I didn't think that the offense spread the defense enough. I didn't think they used the right rotations of players when they needed to go deep. Uh, Devin Williams never even played for one reason or another. I think London played one or two plays. Uh, you know, you've got to use your big receivers and speed on their defensive backs because what they started to do was just close their defense down and they didn't have to defend the entire field. So everything they got away with the first two drives and throwing inside and catching short passes, they took away. Thank goodness they could run the football ball and Carr had a great game. A running in Malapii because of his strength and power type of back he is, I thought it was great. When you look at the offense on misdirection, there's no misdirection or anything to hold anybody outside. A jet sweep or something once in a while will hold the backside. And, and you know, <laughs> I hate to keep going on like this, but I have a list of things to talk about because they're going to ask us these questions. Time management at the end of the game, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> I mean, 30 seconds, 24 seconds, they're snapping the ball when they're trying to run out the clock. I mean, uh, that's not a young player's uh, fault. Someone's got to hold him and snap the ball with about two seconds to go, so the clock runs down. They ran four or five plays doing that, and then they decided to go for it on fourth down, which is unbelievable. When you go for it on fourth downs, first of all, you have big splits. Secondly, uh, you're, you haven't showed anything outside. Your quarterback's not going to keep the ball and run, so you know you're going to come up the middle somehow with your running back, and he's starting back five yards from the line of scrimmage, you just pinch and blow everybody through the gap. They didn't even have a chance to give the back the ball. I mean, get up on the line of scrimmage. You have six inches or a foot to go. Get up and get some push and try to make it or do something like a play-action pass in the flat or something where you got a chance. I just can't understand. And the number thing, number one thing, and you know how that just bugs me, when it's first down on the one-yard line or two yards and you throw the ball, a fade, are you kidding me? When you can't run the ball in from there, and then you throw an interception when you're down there, Daniel throws that interception. I mean, uh, you just can't do those things and beat great teams. So that interception down there didn't help running the, you know. But see, when I try to explain throwing the ball down there, folks, it's when you when you spread the field, but when you get closer to the goal line, there's not as much field to defend. You know, the ball's going to be inside or fade down there, so you play that. Yeah, Devin Williams is great on the slant and does different things on that. And so the other receivers, now the receivers got their catches. If you add the number of receptions and so on, it was good. But uh, total yards-wise, it was even in the game. Time of possession in the second half, it was all Fresno State. Fresno State is a young football team, a young football team. And the longer you let them play with you, the more confident they get in beating you. Reyna, uh, kid looks like a... Uh, a workhorse, when he came out of the game, his jersey was the most dirtiest jersey on the entire team. Ran the football, threw the football, and thank God for the interception at the end of the game. Otherwise, they'd have lost that game because Rivers was wide open. And the reason he got that interception, he jumped the ball. He jumped it from the free safety position, and Reyna saw him so open that he had overthrown other people earlier on the deep routes so he wanted to be careful, and he knew he was open. He didn't want to overthrow him, and he put a little loft in it and didn't throw it hard enough. And, of course, the safety got over there and got the ball. So there's a lot of things. Uh, the kicking game, as far as kickoff return, I thought was great. Having two sevens on the field, that doesn't help very often. <laughs> uh, those, You know, that adds up to 14. That means you have too many people on the field. So those are little things that you can't let happen, and I'll stop at that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, it's a good opening rant, coach, because there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack in this game. Um, that's, and the problem is, if you're looking at some positive things, and you mentioned one, there were only four penalties, only one in the second half. Uh, 
but all four of them were devastating. All four, you know, erase a touchdown, erase a 60-yard gain, erase, I think it was like a 40-yard gain. I mean, they were they were all, every one of them were huge. And so it's good you only had four, but it's bad that it was like 130 yards total or something, you know, and points off the board uh, from doing that. Now, in the end, you know, did it really hurt you end up scoring afterwards when uh, the touchdown that Pittman, um, you know, uh, was erased. You end up scoring. I think it was uh, Stephen Carr that scored after that. Uh, you know, even though you had that long kickoff return, you still had a longer. You know, your, your opening drive was amazing. I mean, they, that was crazy. Um, so something like that, where they're like it's a positive, but it's also sort of a negative. Um, I think if you look at Tyler Vaughn's eleven catches, one hundred fifty yards. I mean, he was all over the place, but he had a drop. Uh, you know, he fumbled once. It was a tough play. Um, you know, he fielded a punt at the five yard line. He's my guy, you know, but I think overall you'd still take the, the 11 catches for 150 yards, but they're all, there's always still like this kind of hint of, of negativity too. And where the defense forced some turnovers, they won the turnover battle. I thought they did a really good job of stuffing the run up the middle, the wide stuff. I mean that the four man front worked, uh, up the gut, but whenever you got wide and they did some misdirection stuff out there, Man, it just seemed like USC was not able to contain, and uh, there was a lot of lot of room to run. And a guy like Jorge Reina just went crazy, and you didn't really know coming in that he was going to have that kind of dual threat ability. And for a lot of the game, he had like under 100 yards passing. And then you know, late in the game when they had to, he got like 250 or something like that. But there was there was definitely some positives, but it seems like every positive had like a, a negative shadow behind it. Yeah, I agree with you, and. Uh... Uh, you know, the defense, too, I didn't get into that, but the defense, too, as you mentioned, uh, they found out they couldn't run the middle of the line, so they started attacking the outside and everywhere they could, and they had a lot of success with it, a lot of success. And that opened up the middle a little bit more for them, too. So I think that they didn't uh, blitz enough. They didn't get after him uh, uh, like they should have, and uh, they got a turnover when they did. So, you know, I just say Fresno State is just a well-coached football team that believes and learns how to win and never quits. And if you let them stay in the game, it's going to be that type of game. Think about it. UNLV last year in the opening game, uh, UNLV was in the game. Central Michigan, they're in the game. This year it's Fresno State, they're in the game. So, uh, you know, everybody was expecting a certain level of improvement I think they that they are some things. Uh, at least they had a philosophy. Now we know what they're trying to do offensively and defensively. I think there's still things they have to improve on. Uh, but uh, they got the W, and it's a big week. I think the number one thing they have to solve, uh, I'll say it this way, Ryan. I would have spent the night at Jack Sears' house, okay, if I was the head football coach. And I don't know what I'd have to say. And I know you people, uh, a lot of you don't agree with me. A lot do, takes. though. Trust me, a lot a lot do agree with you, Coach. Because I've been talking about this since the spring, and you know I have at the end of the spring, who I thought was a leader, and the guy that the players respect, and a guy that's a tough guy that they look at, and they know he's going to sell out, not the JT and the great kid, but he's not here now. And I think Jack was ready to go to war. He could have gone to war, led you to a great season, and I don't know how you get him back, but a, a poor kid out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona was put in there and he looked like a deer with headlights, but he played hard, did his very best that he could do, was in a difficult situation when Fresno State started coming back. I'm glad they had got the running game going because if they'd have forced him to pass the ball too many things, I think times I think they'd have been a little bit of problem. But uh, now what did they do? Uh, I think JT will be probably done. Now you've got the young kid going against Stanford, and Stanford unfortunately lost their quarterback for how long, I don't know. So we'll see what happens next week. And Matt Fink, he was pacing the sideline like a a tiger ready to get out of the cage. So I don't know what the plan is now, but I hope it comes around, and I want to wish their staff and the players uh, the best of luck, and I hope that everything comes out right. Because I think they can beat Stanford. I watched Stanford against Northwestern. Wasn't impressed with their team speed. They ran the ball pretty good, and Coach Shaw felt as though that's the best they've run the football, better than all last year combined. So uh, we'll see what happens. They don't have a white side. They don't have that type of receiver. They got Parkinson, the big tight end, who's a great player out of old Christian. 
So they've got to stop certain people, but they can beat Stanford. They can find a way to beat Stanford, and they've got to do that. You've got to find a way and make the adjustments where that can happen. Yeah. Uh, well, we don't want to jump into Stanford yet because we still got to unpack oh, know, everything know, going on I know, I know. with Fresno State. Uh, you mentioned uh, JT Daniels at the end of the first half. He goes down. With a knee injury, uh, we are well. So we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, and actually in a couple hours, Clay Helton will give us the uh, the full update on the extent of his injury. He was on uh, crutches. Uh, we posted on the Peristyle. Didn't we? Didn't really have a lot of positive. Uh, we haven't heard anything positive coming out of this. Um, you know, most likely uh, it appears he's going to be done for the season. But we, you know, we out of respect to the family, and everything we just wanted to kind of keep everything. Well, until they make it official, official, we're not going to go out there and report any of that. So it, it's it's tough. You know, it's very tough uh, to lose your starting quarterback. And you know, Keenan Slovis came in with six of eight. Uh, you know, through that interception, through the really nice long bomb to uh, Tyler Vaughn. So we'll see where they go from there. But Clay Helton said he's very confident uh, in him. I thought overall the offensive line played a lot better. There weren't the kind of drive-killing uh, penalties. I think there was one penalty maybe on the offensive line. Um, but overall, I thought the, the offensive line was better. They ran the ball better uh, in the second half. So, I mean, I think there was some some kind of positive things to take away from it. The, the one weird thing for me, Coach, and I tweeted about this, if you looked at that first drive, it was like a thing of beauty. Was it like 15 plays or whatever it was? Um, six different Trojans caught passes. Two two receivers, I mean, uh, three receivers, two running backs, and Eric Cromanhope caught a pass. Well, no tight end caught a pass the rest of the game, and no other player outside of those six caught a pass the rest of the game. So your first drive kind of defined the, the boundaries of what the passing game was going to be, and it never expanded beyond that first drive. It was just baffling to me, and they didn't. They rotated people on the defensive line, maybe not as many as much as people would like, but they, you know, they had multiple people come in the secondary, a few subs that would come in and out. But man, on the offensive side, where they said they were going to use like ten wide receivers in this offense, they really didn't. It was it was just the main guys. Not even like a Devin Williams uh, wasn't even getting any getting any love out there. So I wanted to kind of get your thought on that. I don't know if you've ever seen that coach where you throw the ball to six guys on the first drive and nobody for the rest of the game gets. No one else outside of that group of six gets another ball. Well, I don't understand that. I mentioned that earlier, especially when each receiver brings something a little bit different than the others. I mean, big, fast guys. You've got to stretch the field. What Fresno State did, they played their regular defense at the beginning of the game, they played off the ball, and they were getting all the passes thrown in front of them, in front of them, in front of them. So they had to, had to tighten up their defense. And, uh, and uh, also, it was, it was pretty good play calling the first drive too. Eleven yard or eleven or eleven plays for eighty-one yards. I mean, uh, they went right down the field. They ran the football a lot of times when you expected them to pass the football, and they worked. They scored, and there was a lot of optimism and a lot of momentum and so on. They came back. They got the turnover, and they went back and scored again. And then Fresno State made those adjustments, and it really shut down everything. It really slowed down everything, and that's. When I was talking about throw the ball down the field, you hear me at practice. I always stand there and say, you got to keep them loose. To throw in front of them, you got to be keep worried about the deep pass. Deep pass. And he did hit Pittman. Then he came back and threw the wounded duck down the middle of the field to Brown. You can't throw that type of pass in the middle of the field. When you throw a fade and so on, you can let the receiver run under it from the outside. But you can't throw that type of pass. It's got to be more on the line pass down the middle of the field. And I think I saw Coach Helton talking to him about that on the sideline. So, you know, there's, this is just all part of it. Uh, I think everybody was in shock, personally. I think the coaching staff was a little bit in shock. The players on the sideline were in shock. The offensive side of the football was somewhat in shock, too, because JT was gone. And the defensive side of the football basically uh, had to win the football game because they had to stop Fresno State. But, again, with some of the things the offense was doing as far as the time management, and also the fourth and two call. And then when you call on Ben Griffith, who I've been talking about as one of the best punters, better than Mike Saxon, better than Randall Cunningham, now I'm reversing myself, and I say, hey, son, I think I'm going to take those two guys right now. You averaged 38 yards a punt when we needed some deep punts. So I was sort of surprised with that, too. And so, uh, you know, these things all happen in the, the first game of the year, but we have a chance to evaluate it under fire. 
I wanted to talk to you about that. And I, you know, I actually, I wanted to turn over a new leaf coach. Uh, you know, I, I've been very critical of USC special teams. And I, you know, I would tell people the stories about when you had Randall Cunningham and you would tell your coaches, Hey, don't mess with him. He's really good at punting. Just let him punt. And my gut feeling from watching this, because you saw him in practice, you know he can boom punts. Um, we didn't see it. Now, they were punted high, and they weren't returned. But there was a 36-yard punt, a 37-yard punt, and a 38-yard punt. Everything we saw, when he, he would get a hold of things, they were going well over 50, just soaring through the air. Um, that wasn't happening. And my gut was, yeah, there was special team screw-ups, right? Two number sevens on the first play of the season. That's inexcusable. That's, I mean, that could be a fireable offense like just out of the gate. Like, that's the, one of the worst things I've ever seen. But when you have this weapon as a punter, was it that he just wasn't performing well because now you're under the, the big stage of the Coliseum? Well, he was a professional Aussie Rules football player for a long time. And I know the stadiums are different sizes, and he said he feels a little claustrophobic and stuff, but I, I wouldn't think that would, would be it. Um, was he, you know, did we, were we just wrong about him? It's like, no, we saw him in practice. We know he could physically do it. Was it something where he was uh, throttled a little bit by the coaches who wanted him to directional punt or punt it high so there would be no return and not outkick the coverage? I, I kind of leaned towards that, Coach. What, what was your take on that? Because, man, people were giving us crap on Twitter. Like, I thought you said this guy was great. And I was like, well, he was in practice and until we said, we, we haven't seen the last two weeks of practice. Maybe he stunk then, but what we saw, he was amazing. I agree with you. I think that he was in situations where you don't tell him about doing a pooch punt or anything like that. You tell him to boom it as far as you can because both times he punted early in the game, they needed field position and he needed to punt them out of trouble and they didn't do that. They got field position once on the 40 yard line. I think I can't remember exactly, but, uh, yeah, I agree, and I don't know if it's uh, they're coaching him because obviously when I watched the coach, my special teams coach coaching Randall, I went over there and I told him I'm coaching the kicker now, and he said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Why did why did we why do we want him to punt? Why do we recruit him? We don't want to change somebody that does something right. Leave him alone. Let him do what we recruited him to to be." So I don't know. I hope they haven't uh, done too much uh, coaching to him, but he's an uh, an older gentleman and he can play and. Leave him alone. So I really can't give you the answer on that, Ryan. All I know is I was very disappointed, as you were and others, as far as the, the, the punting that he did do. In fact, I asked Clay Helton on Friday. He was sitting at the table with me, and we were you know, at the Pasadena Quarterback Club. And I asked him, I said, why does he stay at USC? Why didn't he sign for the NFL? And he sort of looked at me, and he didn't have an answer because I thought he was really that good of a punter. And, and, but he certainly didn't demonstrate that uh, last night. No, it's it's unfortunate. You feel bad. Um, I I I feel he can do it. I feel like he was trying to punt it high as opposed to long. And there was the one time he was punting from his own end zone. And is that where you're being overcoached? And you're like, no, you don't. We don't want you to outkick the coverage. Just put, punt it high and have no return. Um, yeah, that that just bothers me. But uh, for I, we didn't really get to talk too much about the defensive side before we jump into questions. Uh, I got to talk to Christian Rector for a little while after the game and he was pretty happy with the team's performance. He felt he missed some tackles. He got a sack early. You saw Drake Jackson break out. He had a sack early. Um, like I said, the, the four-man front, uh, I liked what I saw there. They did rotate some guys in. You saw Nick Figueroa jump on a um, a, a fumble. I think uh, Giuliano Falonico forced a fumble. Um, you know, they did pretty good on the turnover side, which was an issue they weren't really forcing last year, but man, they were just giving up the yardage, uh, on the outside. And I didn't feel like looking at Jorge Reyna, it just, he didn't seem like a quarterback that could really beat you with his arm. Um, I don't want to say he had some lucky throws, but he had some throws where he just, he didn't look like he was this well-polished quarterback that was going to put it where it needed to go all the time. Sometimes he just missed by a mile. And so if you have a guy like that, I, I felt like this should have been a better defensive performance than what they put out there. Um, you know, I don't, what do you think, Coach, about that? Well, I agree with you. Uh, you're going to face uh, probably in your next games, depending what who plays at Stanford, probably a more athletic quarterback and a higher-rated quarterback than who, what Reina is. I think he played his butt off. I really do. The kid really played well and hard, but he's limited. 
he's limited on his ability and speed and and throwing ability and so on, but he played hard, and they put him in a position where he could win. They let him carry the ball, and they weren't afraid of it. And uh, USC couldn't stop him when he would run around and scramble and run to the outside on the keeps, and they're not afraid to give him. He ran two or three keeps in a row for for, uh, yardage on the outside. Now they're going to play other quarterbacks that can probably uh, scream a little bit better and, and do that. So, you know, Huntley from Utah and some of these other guys uh, that can really run. So, yeah, I, I have to say that the defense uh, performance that way wasn't good. Uh, I think that also the outside of they weren't running the ball in the middle, so I think they could have rolled up in a cover two more, had more support immediately on the line of scrimmage to take the swing passes and make them throw the ball at the deep receiver and roll the safeties over there because they weren't able to throw the ball. They weren't able to throw or run the football up the middle that much. Now, you normally, when you roll into a cover two, if you're an offensive coordinator, you're going to try to run the ball and pop the big play up the middle. But uh, the defensive front basically stopped that. So I think you have to make some adjustments to be able to stop that. And uh, it, 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 it got to a point where at the end of the game, when they went it forward and fourth and two, I said, that's it. Uh, uh, I saw the momentum go to Fresno State, the electricity, then he hit that fourth down pass. And they, I said, they're going to win the football game. Was the whole momentum and the confidence of the defense wasn't there. And uh, obviously, without that great play, uh, they probably would have won the football game. I really do. They, had, they would have had to go for two uh, to tie the game and so on, which I think they would have done. Now, obviously, they'd done it because the game was a dime they're over. But... Uh, I don't know. A lot of questions, a lot of things to clean up. Uh, uh, I know they got more lists than I do because I didn't grade the film. And I didn't, I'm just doing this off of what I can remember of the game. But uh, a lot of things. I want to ask you this Richmond, the tackle. Yeah. Uh, did he get hurt or what? Uh, no, I, he was out there. He started at right tackle, and uh, Jalen McKenzie started at right guard. But then at the end of the game, McKenzie was playing tackle. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, I saw that, and I don't know if it was Voorhees that came in. Voorhees was a guard. Voorhees was a he guard. He did come yeah. in, yeah. So Voorhees didn't practice during the week, and then, um, so I think that's why they didn't start him, and I don't know if they just wanted to kind of get him in there a little bit and move him over, but I thought that they, they played pretty well overall as a line, and so that was... That was the one kind of wrinkle that was late. I, I I noticed that, but it was like really late. I didn't know like, well, how long has that been the case um, when that was uh, going on? But that, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, as far as the offensive line goes, we didn't get to see them as much. But I wasn't like completely disappointed with what I saw there. Uh, I don't know. Do you agree? Like, did you feel like it was better? No, than, I agree. I think it was no, better than last year. No, I agree because I think Fresno State has a pretty good D line. They were pretty dominant last year. They were 14th in the country, I think, on run defense. Now they lost a couple of players, but basically lost their linebackers. But, yeah, I, I'll agree with you on that. I think that the offensive line did their job when they, when there were some sacks going on and so on. There were overloads and so on. But, I, but I, I agree with you. I think they did. I wish the defense would have done more cross-charging like they did when Jackson went up the middle and got that sack and hurried. A lot of hurries there, uh, but they didn't do that. But, uh Got to keep contain, got to contain, got to force the quarterback bucket, bucket back into the pocket where the big guys coming up the middle can stop them. But uh, that basically, I think we've said it, Ryan. I mean, there's a lot of technical things we can get into, but let's get to the questions people have. Yeah, let's uh, let's jump into some questions and stuff. Um, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a real quick break? We'll come right back and we'll start answering questions. Here we go. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Let's get into some of those questions we talked about. I mentioned like there's some longer voicemails, Coach. Uh, this one, 
our buddy Don from the East Coast, uh, New York, had I think it was like two and a half minute long voicemail. Um, sorry, Don, that's just too long. But he wanted to know at the end of the game or towards the end of the game, why USC went for it on the fourth and short. Uh, it pushed, it could have easily, he said, pushed their, you know, pushed Fresno State back inside the five with your great punter. Um, he said Clay Helton was never ready to be the head coach at USC. And the more he sees of it, the more he's convinced that this isn't, he's not the right guy for the job. But what, what did you think about that fourth down play? Well, I, I think I talked about it earlier. I was very surprised you go for it. And if you do go for it, you don't do it from that type of formation and, and, uh, and, and have you back that far back. They just stoned him, man. They just stoned him. They didn't even, he didn't even get to the line of scrimmage. Then you gave him the field. They had a short field drive. I think that was about the 40 yard line. And, uh, all of them, they got all excited when they stopped him and the offense went on the field and so on. You got to punt the ball there. Can't take that chance there. It's not like, you know, you don't have any confidence in your defense. You got to have some confidence. You're telling the defense when you go for the ball there, I don't believe you can stop them. So we got to run the football. Now I've done that before when I know our defense can't stop somebody. So I said, we got to go for it here because they're going to score anyway. But I think that told the defense that he didn't think they could stop him. So he went for it and uh, it's all his call. You know, a lot of people saying, Graham Harrell made that call. And so, no, he didn't make that call. Clay Helton has, is the head football coach. He's responsible for all game situations, whether we punt, kick a field goal, go for a short one, whatever we do, go for two, go for one, you name it. And uh, it's his call. So he takes the good with the bad. And I like Clay Helton really a lot. So uh, uh, I'm just saying on that call, that was his call. He's got to take responsibility for it. I don't know if anybody asked him after the game why he did it but uh i thought it was a big risk and it failed yeah it was one of those things where afterwards he said i'm you know i'm trusting i'm trusting my guys i'm betting on my guys he's you know his players basically saying he could pick up a yard uh vavai was you know averaging five and a half yards a carry and Stephen carr was averaging over nine yards a carry so i'm not sure why he wasn't getting he only got like not, six not carries. on that play though not on that play right you're not gonna do it on that play yeah no. Because you're not, yeah, you're not. Look, this is not. You're not running on, uh, you know, second and ten where they're expecting a pass or anything like that. They're expecting something up, to, you know, up tight near the line of scrimmage, and and that's what you know. That's what they ended up uh, stopping. And it, yeah, it was just it was an ugly play overall. But for one of those things, coach, too, it's like, well, you say you're like have confidence in your guys, but you could also look at it as well. Maybe you didn't trust your defense. I don't know. I mean, or or your punter to to pin them deep. Um, that seemed to me like a perfect situation where what we see in practice, Ben Griffiths would just put it inside the 10, inside the five almost every time. So I thought that would be the smart move. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm usually not big into like, you should have went for it, you should have went for it. But there was a lot of people on Twitter, on the message boards that were really upset about that. Well, I agree. If, it, if they'd have made it, it was the right call. Or people would have still been guessing it. I would have been guessing it too. What if you didn't? But it's a call you don't make, and if that's not, it's a call that I wouldn't run that play. You got to have some uh, type of play that gives you outside or some room for the back to run, or if you're the quarterback to run. If they would have kept the ball, the quarterback would have kept the ball in any type of play. He'd he'd have still been running. Right now, he'd have probably been in Orange County. But uh, they don't do that. They don't stretch the field with the quarterback. They don't expect the the quarterback to be the second running back, second running back, and. They did do some two-back sets uh, last night that I liked. They ran a blast and a couple of plays. I'd like to see them develop that into bootlegs and backs in the flat and things once they get it going. But, uh, you know, they haven't just done that. That's not their philosophy currently right now, and I sure hope they add to it. Yeah. Uh, we. That's, that's the way, you know, there's some questionable game management decisions. Uh, you can always second-guess them and stuff, but that, you know, when it – when the play looks that ugly, then you're just like, man, why the heck did they do that? Um, but if, if they would have got the first down, then probably I don't think anyone would have cared. But they 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 wanted to bring it up. So thanks, Don, uh, from the East Coast for the question there. Why don't we go to uh, a voicemail? Uh, this is, I think, uh, yeah, here we go. We've got one voicemail for you. Hello, Ryan and staff. This is uh, Jesse from Boarding, Washington. So I've been sitting here about an hour now just stuck in the game, and this has to be one of the most uninspiring wins we've had to, to date. 
We gave up more 460 yards. We only gained 447. We had no push other than our, you know, talent sometimes overwhelmed them. But other than that, we showed no progress. Same undisciplined defense seemed at times lost. We still can't figure out how to cover a dual-threat quarterback. It's just embarrassing. I'd like to see what Coach uh, Hyde thinks about this. I mean, glad for the win, but I'm just so disappointed. feel bad for JT. What we're going to see now of uh, old Clay Helton can coach. Yeah, I'm not going to call him coach. He doesn't deserve it. This is Jesse Rodriguez, U.S. Army retired, already watched it. Fight on. Well, uh, let me put it to you this way. You know, uh, USC doesn't recruit two and three stars, okay? They recruit four and five stars, and most of their defensive linemen are four stars. They've got some five stars. Now, when you look at Fresno State's offensive line, they're basically two and three stars. That's what they recruit. They get a lot of, they maybe get 23 stars and two stars and develop their players. I don't even know if Reyna was a three or four star, whatever he was coming out of uh, junior college. But you've got to be able to dominate, and they don't get any push much. They really don't. I agree with him 100%. Now, in the first series, I thought they flew flew around pretty good. But I, I don't see the, the quickness there in getting off the ball and playing on the other side of the ball. I don't see the penetration on their defensive line that you'd like to see, uh, driving guys back into the backfield, uh, doing the things that are necessary to dominate the line of scrimmage and wear down the offensive line. I don't think Fresno State's offensive line did that. I don't think they got worn out. I don't think and they rotated a lot of players on the defensive side of the football, and Fresno State's offensive line wasn't rotating anybody. So uh, I, I sort of uh, agree with you. I think they got to mix it up more and more cross-charging, more helping the defensive line, better containment, better push, and also uh, more more blitzing and firing inside there to get to the quarterback to rush his throws. You can't let him stand there and look around and throw the football. Whenever he had to run around and you contained him, you got him, or he threw a bad pass. Hurrying a quarterback is what it's all about. If you give him all day, I could throw a pass and complete it, maybe. So uh, I agree. I don't think they played up to their ability on the defensive side of the football. I think they were exploited. I, I know, all right, I know from inside and talking to coaches and everything else that they spent a lot of time working against a Pentagrass's defense, okay? because they didn't have to worry about the offensive side looked at North Texas State, or the defensive side looked at North Texas State, and the offensive side of the staff at Fresno State looks at Pentagrass's defense, but he's not going to change anything on formations and so on that he's done, because you know, an old um, uh, coach doesn't change what he does, and he didn't. He didn't change anything different except go to a four-man front, which is still the rules and stuff that the defense has. So uh, that's the way I look at it. Uh, domination, no. Uh, momentum, uh, early, yes. Second half, uh, you allowed Fresno to get back in the game. Thank goodness for Jones's kickoff return, or who knows what might have happened. It was 17-13 at that time, which made it 24-13. And uh, turnovers, I've got to give a plus on that. They did get a couple of turnovers, and that's very, very important. And they did get a score off a turnover. So it's touched, uh, tough for me to have all the answers because I don't have the tapes or the films or watch it or ask. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish, so that's where we are. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, uh, Jesse uh, from Washington. He also he emailed in also because he wasn't sure if the voicemail worked, but it worked perfect, Jesse. Thank you, and thanks for your service. Uh, let's go. We got Don in Upland, California. Uh, he says, hey, Ryan and Coach Hyde. As I watched the game, I couldn't help thinking about similar games played last season. USC would jump out to a two-touchdown lead only to lose the game. The offense would go into the tank and stop producing. The defensive, uh, the defensive back end really played poorly, letting Fresno State receivers beat them deep. You can't play good pass defense with your back to the quarterback. I grade them a D-. minus. I really wasn't impressed with Kevon Slovis. He looked lost out there. The coaches seemed to be high on him, but not me. I think he should be the third uh, string quarterback in the rotation. Finally, USC is going to be in for a long season if that defensive secondary doesn't improve. 
That's from Don. Well, yes, we've uh, seen a lot of breakdowns in the secondary, not necessarily because of breakdowns as far as coverages, but as far as in practice, what we've seen is great skilled players on the offensive side of the football that's almost impossible to cover with the defense that they were running in the, in the fall camp with uh, like Devin Williams and the receivers and Pittman and these guys. But the speed guys, the speed guys, they had a little bit difficult time covering because of their size and speed. As far as when you, you can't cover all day, so to help the secondary, you got to put pressure on the defense. you just got to do it. you just got to get after people to make it happen. you got to be able to swarm people. And if you're not getting to them with four guys, you got to find a way to do it. Outnumber people and get to them. Find a way because uh, they're going to find a way to beat you if you don't do that. As far as your quarterback rotation, I think from the I think Graham Harrell talked. Now this is just me convinced Clay Helton on the on what the depth chart should be. He's the offensive coordinator and he came in here. He's a young coach and uh, he says I've got it. Uh, the percentages. This this kid did this and this kid did that and. And let me let me tell you, I thought the kid did a heck of a job in the spring and fall camp. I was surprised with his ability because he came in not really highly ranked, and people are saying this three-star, who is he, and whatever. And but he did play really well. But I think that he was not ready. He was not ready to be in the big stage as he was last night. I think the kid will be maybe someday. I think Harold. I, I think maybe I don't know if he was ready for the big stage last night. I think that he's been getting a lot of hype and all of this and that, so everybody expected a lot more than what possibly showed up last night. And I think that's, I think that's why there's a lot of criticism, too, is because uh, everybody's been talking about how good they are offensively and what they're going to do offensively and this and that and so on. And that didn't happen. And then losing JT Daniels certainly didn't make it very uh, an exciting evening either. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, I think that the uh, depth chart, I told you that. Should have been, if you want Daniels to be your starter, it should have been Daniels, Sears, being Sears off the bench. He's got a lot of explosive and, and, and a lot of leadership. He did it against Arizona State a year ago when Daniels went down. He could have come back in, but no, they had a, a regular freshman there. And I, I don't think that's fair to the kid. I don't think it's right to the people, the players that came back, Sears and Fink and so on. So I had a redshirt, uh, a redshirt of that kid. And I'd have had Sears, too. If you want to start Daniels, that's fine. Sears and Fink, and that's what I'd have gone with. And you'd have been in pretty good shape. I think you'd have been in pretty good shape because Sears can run the football and, and scramble around. And he likes to run the football. He's a tough kid. And uh, you don't have to baby him. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Coach. And we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, he's in the transfer portal, wasn't going to practice with the team. I talked about this on Tunnel Vision. If um, something happened to one of the quarterbacks and there was only three it might be worth Jack Sears' while to come back and practice with the team. I get it. You're fourth string. You're not. All you're going to do is run the scout team, and you're transferring out. I, I have no issues with him saying eh, I'm not going to practice because it's not. You know, I'm not anywhere getting close. Now he would actually be practicing with the team and would get. You know, if he was third string, he would at least be getting ten percent of the reps or whatever it is. So uh, maybe there's a chance that he does come back. Uh, I don't think they would reopen a competition. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I, I agree with the coach. But it's funny, Michael Castillo uh, from uh, Rain of Troy had a really interesting take about the quarterbacks. About he didn't think it really mattered who started. Um, it's just more of like the system, and like they'll all be fine in it. And I kind of feel that. Like I know there's some people that are saying, uh, "Oh, I don't." You know, Don was saying he doesn't like Slovis, or I, you'd rather have Fink, or you'd rather have Sears, whatever it is. It's like I think that the system, all these quarterbacks were when we saw them, they all looked fine in it. You know, it wasn't like. Uh, anything that was super pressing, but people really want to say, "Oh, it's got to be this guy or it's got to be that guy." Um, I didn't really know. I mean, I, I'm not. I think if you're going to have a guy out there, you let him do what the offensive system asks you to do. It's not that complicated of one. I don't think you you can't reduce the playbook from four pages to two. Uh, I think you just let whoever's out there go. And uh, Clay Helton seems to be very confident in uh, Keaton Slovis, so that's that's the direction you should go. But I. Some people saying it could be an excuse or all that. Like, I don't feel any of that. I feel like these are all your choices, your personnel choices. If you're starting a true freshman for the rest of the season, that's on you because you had other guys that you could have put ahead of him. So, um, you know, you could have had Jack Sears or you could have had Matt Fink. 
if something happened to JT Daniels. So I don't have an issue with that, but uh, I, I don't also look at it as an excuse. And I know some fans are kind of worried about that, Coach, that, oh, it's going to be an excuse now, USC lost because they're starting a freshman quarterback. I just don't see that. Well, I think uh, they had a problem when they released the depth chart and, and how they did it. You've got a player that's been at USC for a long period of time in Jack Sears. And to me, I'm a big loyal guy, okay, loyally play to my players. And I think you get more loyalty from them when you show loyalty both ways. And uh, I really thought that uh, if things are equal or close to equal, Sears is my man, okay? I always feel that way. And if he can't get it done, then I think you can go to a younger kid because people understand that you gave him a chance. The team understands you gave him a chance. And you had to make a change. But he never really has had a chance after the Arizona State game where everybody saw him play, and I've seen him in practice, and you've seen him, and, and uh, the type of kid he really is. And, and I think JT Daniels is that kid, and so on. Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking one over the other. But I think you got a problem now because if I'm Jack Sears, I'm not coming out unless I'm starting. I'm not coming out to be third team. Why would I come out to be third team? Everything's the same. There's a freshman quarterback that's been committed from modern day, and Daniels is coming back next year. Why, what am I doing? If I come out, I'm going to play the next, I hope, uh, the entire game, and I hope I don't get hurt, and I hope JT Daniels, if he comes back and he's ready to go, I understand that. But I'm not coming back. Now, if you do that, what are you telling the other quarterbacks? We made a mistake. You're not really that good. Well, sometimes you have to do that. <laughs> For the best of the team, you have to say, you know, Kendall, you did a great job, but, you know, you're a little starstruck out there, and we're going to give Sears a chance, and you do it. They just have to do it because I think you have to do certain things, and the kid got his shot, did what he could do, did the best job he could do. He's a young kid, so he's got to be able to say, okay, you're right, you're right. I'll have an opportunity again. I got, I'm a young guy. I could even redshirt. That one game doesn't really count. The whole thing, you make it a positive. You turn a negative to a positive, okay? Uh, Randall Cunningham once told me when he was the backup quarterback with the uh, Dallas Cowboys, he became a better football player because he got to go against the number ones every every day. And he got better and better because he went against the real players. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen uh, from uh, uh, things that sometimes uh, aren't in your favor when you look at it. But in the big picture, it is good for you. So, uh, I, I'm just telling you, if you see Sears out there, he's not coming out unless he's a starter. And and if I was his parents and the kid, I wouldn't come out either uh, because they know he, how, how he is. They know he can play. Why would I burn a year and, and just play one or two games? No. I'm coming out because I'm the starter. Yes, we made a mistake. Yes, the young freshman got an opportunity. Uh, uh, Matt Fink, uh, great. Uh, you might be mad for a while, but Sears is the guy. Yeah. No, I think – that would be my guess that he doesn't come out, but there would be some kind of possibility that, Hey, maybe he wants to stay sharp and get out and practice. Um, I get being fourth string. There's no reason to, uh, I know some people maybe don't agree with that, but, um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll talk to, uh, like we said, the Clay Helton conference call will be a little bit later on. We'll talk to him about that. Um, by the time you listen to this, we probably already will have some information on that. So, uh, all right, let's go, go to another voicemail question. Here you go, coach. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Okay, we've all seen this version of the air raid. You see what happens. The only way they can take away our passing game is to go too deep safeties, man up on everybody. You can't come at the quarterback with a lot of people, four at the most against our five linemen. So if you hand it to a running back on a regular down, He's going to have all kind of daylight to run because they have to cover all these receivers. So uh, it looks like a mobile quarterback, here we go again with this, is deadly. JT ran up the middle and slid several times for, for nice yardage because it opens up. They can't stop us unless they give the quarterback a lot of time in the pocket to throw. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, uh, obviously, you know, football, I, I think they could have run a couple of draws. They didn't run any draws to slow them down a little bit. And, you know, I, I don't see much of a screen type of formation or anything off the screens, uh, you know, through the regular screens, to the short side and the wide side, not to the split receivers, but to the running back. 
Uh, I didn't see any jet type of things coming back across the field. I didn't see any type of quarterback keeps or draws. You know, you can call actually a quarterback draw. You don't have to just scramble when you're in trouble. You actually run a quarterback draw. But if you if you're in fear of your quarterback always getting hurt, which you do, I always did too, then you don't call it, and you need to call it. You can't have that fear, and you got to have a confidence that you've taught this guy how to slide and do the necessary things that you have to do to get by. So uh, uh, we'll see what happens, and, uh, you know, it's the first game, and everybody's learning, and, you know, this air raid stuff uh, is, is something that, uh, you know, works for some people, and it doesn't work for others. But it's not as easily done and accomplished uh, as 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 explained that we have a one page playbook and this and that and so on, you got to have a complete package. You've got to have short yardage uh, offense. You've got to have sh- the whole thing. You you've heard me talk about. You got to be able to go into center. You got to be able to huddle once in a while to make sure you're communicating with everybody on important plays. I mean, there isn't any of that. Everything is hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, and a lot of times that hurts you more than helps you. Yeah. All right, we got one last uh, question for you, Coach. This is uh, Greg. He's in Dunwoody, Georgia. Dear Coach Hyde, thanks for sharing with us all of your opinions, observations, and vast experience through this podcast. I'm a big fan of yours, to say the least. I have a question for you about how the USC coaches were dressed last night. I often hear you talking about how important it is for a head coach to emphasize that the players adhere strictly to the uniform. Uh, shouldn't that rule apply to the coaches as well? Last night I saw Helton wearing a white T-shirt. The linebacker coach was wearing a gray T-shirt, and Pendergast was wearing a red SC polo. Maybe this is being ticky-tack, but I would love to know your thoughts on it. To my eye, it doesn't look like the coaches are even on the same page with each other. Thank you. Fight on, Greg, in Dunwoody, Georgia. Well, Greg, uh, you're a fashion guy like me, okay? Uh First of all, I think you represent something, and it's part of the class of the locker room being cleaner than the other locker room. When we used to leave the field, we would have our managers sweep the locker room of where we played on the road so that when they came in, the custodians or whoever it was would look around and say, my gosh, there's nothing to do. It's cleaner than when they came here. We want to leave an image. We want to be who we are. So people say good things about us on and off the field in the locker room and the buses. A lot of times you ride on buses and the kids eat their lunches and dinners right after their game. You get them a box lunch of burgers or so on. They just throw them in the bus and leave them there. We don't want to do that. We're going to clean the buses too after a ride, and we're going to do all of that. Like when I looked at USC's team last night, I was somewhat happy. They look good. They have their black shoes on with their white socks, some higher lengths than the other. Uh, which I can tolerate. I didn't when I was coaching, but I can tolerate that now. And I looked at the sideline. Look at uh, Alabama's sideline. Would you do that sometime, people, and see the way that they're dressed? There's no shirts hanging out. Everybody's tucked in their shirt. Uh, they're, they're, they're part of what Nick Saban's uh, image is, as well as his hair is always combed, as well as everything else. Well, that's the way he is, and that's the way his team plays, the same way as what he is. I agree with you. They weren't in the regular uniforms that they normally are in. Uh, as far as what I would consider, I used to always say, hey, on the road, we wear dark. That way the players can find us on the sideline. At home, we wear white because the players are in dark, and when you're on the sideline, you want the players on the field to be able to find you. So that's just a cardinal rule that I use all the time, and we did it. And at first, you know, coaches will grunt and this and that, and they're stubborn like anybody else, like kids are, but... That's the rule. If you don't want to wear it, you don't have to coach here. So uh, so that's just the way I am. And yet uh, I think that they respect it when they know it means something to you. Yeah, Greg, I didn't actually notice that. But uh, I'll have to go back and look at some of the pictures and talk to them. But, yeah, that's that's interesting. Like you would think, yeah, they probably all wear the same. Po- like here's the polo you wear today. Everyone's wearing this polo or whatever. But, uh, I, I mean, that's you know, not a huge deal to me. But I, I could see it. I mean, I think it's just you want to – you know, show people, hey, we are on the same page. If everyone's wearing something different, it does look, it looks a little bit bit different. I had a, a former player text into me and was like, oh, it, I mean, coach, he was light, lighting things up. He hated, uh, let me, I'll pull it up here real quick. He was hating on everything that he saw out there. Um, just that, you know, I, I don't want to go into, he put a lot of details in here, but he didn't like, 
he, if he felt like when he looked at the sidelines, there was a lot of individual stuff, a lot of me, 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 and not a lot of team stuff. Um, he, to me, to him, it just felt like that discipline that you talked about, maybe with the penalties might've been addressed, but not really the other stuff. And, you know, people wearing different things and all that stuff. He wrote in like this really long text message. I can't read all of it, but um, not happy with uh, what he saw on the sidelines. Well, you know, you can tell if a, ga- if a team's into it or not by, by the way they wear their uniform, if they have their helmets on or their helmets are sitting on the bench. You can tell when players are pouting and uh, so on. And sometimes during a game I'd have to y- remind a young man about pouting or sitting in the corner in the locker room at halftime with his head down, not paying attention. There's a lot of this that goes on because they're individual stars. They're stars before they come. You've told them that they're going to be a star, and they don't really have to wait their turn now where they do. In the past, you got your opportunity, and when you got that opportunity, you played. Now everybody wants to play on Sunday, on Saturday. They wanted the day early somehow. The portal has now made that something that uh, players can transfer. And, and if they're not happy, and they've got some players, I'm sure, that aren't happy as far as that have built up and did do well in their camp. I saw, like, you know, some of those receivers really had a great camp. And uh, I'm sure they're not happy, and I'm sure that uh, Colbert's going to have to talk to them today and give them a reason why they didn't play more and why they didn't do this or why they didn't do that. So you have that every game, and you know, you've got unhappy people. But when you have unhappy people and you win, then you really got a problem. And I used to tell my team that. You know, hey, we got the W. Get your heads up. Get them out of your know-what. Get together here, guys. I mean, when you get a W, we, you know, we win. I mean, you can sit around and pout if you want, but we can't be having pouters or locker room lawyers sitting in the back corner talking about who should have played and I should have played more and all this and that. And as a head coach, you got to nip that at the bud when, as soon as you can, and you got to have people on the sideline who enforce your philosophy. You give the philosophy to everybody, the trainers, the equipment guys, to everybody. And they all adhere to this. This is the way it is. And the people on the sideline don't come into the player's area. This is like uh, going into a surgery room. Do you go in and talk to the surgeon when he's doing surgery? Hell no. Well, you don't do it on a football field during football uh, games. So, yeah, you're going to have that because they're all stars already before they came. And, you know, and they're announcing on national television and they're putting up three or four hats and all this and that. So it's a whole different element of what we used to have. Kids used to be happy to be at USC. Kids used to be happy to get an athletic scholarships. Uh, now it's, it's somewhat a little bit different of a philosophy and how you coach, how you talk to them, how you do all these different things. The parents are more involved into the game because they've spent $100,000 in putting these kids in charter schools and camps and traveling all over the world. So they got an investment too, and they want them to play in, in the NFL. And I certainly understand their side when they have this type of investment and the number of hours that they have in their son or daughter and so on. But again, you got to be a team player. And when you're given the best opportunity, when you go to a school that has a great football program or any type of great athletic uh, type of event, you got to wait your turn and you got to prove that you should be playing. So basically that's how I feel. All right. That's the coach Harvey Hyde. First regular season game. We get to talk about here on the Peristyle podcast, breaking it down Coach, we appreciate it. Uh, you know, I know USC fans wanted a little bit something more to uh, to satisfy them after the long offseason. We'll see if they can get that against Stanford uh, next week. So you you mentioned that earlier. Going to be a tough one to to come over, but they got they got to bounce back from this and uh, not you know bounce back from a win, but just play better. They have to play a lot better if you're going to compete with the likes of uh, Stanford, who might be without their starting quarterback as well. But thanks again, Coach. Thank you very much, and uh, for all of you out there, thank you for being a part of our huddle. And again, uh, take care out there, buckle up, and be safe. Okay, and have a great Labor Day weekend. All right, that's for the Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, 
visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.